welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. I'm starting a series called Money, 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 and everyone's so excited about that, as you can hear. <laughs> and it's the first time I've actually ever preached on money in, 25, in the 25 years I've been preaching. So um, this series was supposed to start almost to the uh, October last year. I did the first um, session and then we went into another lockdown, so um, it wasn't appropriate to continue. So a year after, we're starting again. And um, for those of you guys that remember that first um, session, I'm only, like, I've only sort of preaching about a quarter or a third of that. I've rewritten the whole entire thing. And I'm pretty excited, as you guys are all, as, as I can hear right now. It's like, wow, he's going to be talking about money and giving and finances and tithing and inheritance. It's going to be so awesome. I'm living for Sundays because I just need to hear all about this stuff. So just a couple of fun facts before we get going any further. 11 of the 39 parables that Jesus spoke talk about money. So that's a whole lot. One out of every seven verses of Jesus' words relates to finances or references finances and money. He, Jesus was not shy about talking about money. Interesting fact as well, Jesus spoke more about money than prayer and faith combined. Why is that? Because I think personally, that our wallets are probably one of the most accurate indicators of the state of our hearts concerning lordship in our life. And Jesus knew that, so he wasn't shy to talk about money. So it's obvious that our attitude towards money is a big deal to Jesus. So what are the outcomes? So I always want to sort of, when I write message series, what are the outcomes of where do we want to go as a church as we journey with these message series? So number one, to educate us in the incredible joy of investing our earthly treasures into an eternal future. Number two, to release people into more financial freedom, which is so awesome. Don't you want to be more financially free? Like five of us do, the other wants to, the rest of us want to just stay in financial bondage. Like who actually wants to be financial free? Financially free should be all of us. We should be saying a wholehearted amen, Simon. I want to be financially free. And thirdly, and this is great, to see more finances come into a new church. I'm not going to apologise for that. I think that's an absolute awesome outcome. And a a couple of sort of more facts to back that up. Lack of vision is never the problem with churches. A lack of finance always is. If someone were to give us a new church a million dollars today, this wouldn't happen. We just don't know what to do with a million dollars. I just can't think of one thing. Oh, well, we'll just buy some scratchies. Sweet. No, we would never say that. It, lack of vision is never the problem in my experience. And I've been doing this for some time now. Lack of finance always is. And God doesn't want us to be financially lacking. Giving to churches has decreased by 50% since 1990. On average, Christians give what, 10%, like 10% to church on average? The average Christian gives 2.5% of their income to church. Each generation of churchgoers are significantly giving less than the generation before it. So if we drop by 50% in the last 30 years, what's it going to be like, or 50%, what's it going to be like in the, in the next 30, 40 years? And the early church was funded exclusively by tithes and offerings, and look what they accomplished. They were the social welfare system of their time. 
They looked after people and they did it because of the generosity of the church. Now, one thing that usually always crops up is like, and it's really awkward as a senior pastor to talk about money, especially when you're asking people to be more generous into the church because most, not most, maybe some people will think, well, Simon's going to get a pay rise if the sermon series goes well. So, so he's a benefactor of this. And I just want to say, getting it right out there, I have nothing to do with my salary being set or the salary of our staff. We have um, a volunteer team um, that, that get together. And I, I may like, talk to my pastor friends and get some information around New Zealand, but it's, it's not set by me. Um, so I, I doubt that I'm going to get a pay rise. That would be awesome if I could. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> But it's not really about me at all because I just think it's, again, it's about us being financially free, God wanting to do some incredible things through His church. To do that, we actually need money. Um, and to get us all on the same page with being generous and understanding why this is a big deal. So um, this first session, I'm going to be talking about two things, that money is a heart issue primarily and also that money is an eternal issue, issue also. So the key verse this morning Matthew 6, verses 19, I'm going to read um, 19 to 21, then I'm going to read 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I know passions come alive whenever we talk about money. You think that like talking about vaccinations and COVID and honouring the emperor was, was tough. And now just, let's just start talking about money and then see, see how many of us actually get triggered. Whenever we talk about money, it's incredibly triggering. Um, it just stirs up a whole lot of emotions in us. And why probably more than anything else, when we actually start talking about money in church, tithes and offerings and being generous and being stu good stewards, why do we have that reaction in us? Like I said before, I believe wholeheartedly that our wallets are incredibly accurate indicators that show the state of our hearts and the Lordship of our lives. So the first half of this morning, number one, money is a heart issue. Money accurately reveals the state of our heart and really who has the Lordship of our heart. So let's have a look at Matthew 6, verse 21 and 24 again. For where your treasure is, there your heart is will be also. It's really an interesting order, uh, that verse. I would have assumed, when, if I was writing this, um, where your heart is, then you'll put your treasure. But it's very, very interesting how it says where you put your treasure first and there your heart will follow. In verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. An interesting Phrase again, because I would have thought if I was writing this, you can't, cannot serve God and the devil. But it actually doesn't say anything about the devil here. It says God and money. I'll share it a little bit later on. I think it's because money is the God of our age. So verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also put another way. Wherever you put your money, 
is where your heart will go. Wherever you put your money is where your heart will go. Why is there so many younger Christians today and they love Jesus, but they're not involved in church? They're not committed to church. They don't have a passion or take ownership for the church simply because they're not putting their finances into church. Where, when your money goes to God, your heart goes to God also. If you're struggling with dryness in your life and it's like, well, I just haven't got that passion anymore. You're actually giving, returning financially what is God's to begin with. When your money goes to other things, your heart goes to other things also. Man, I've, I've had about a million phases in my life. And I know for a fact that the more you invest in certain hobbies, the more passionate you get about those hobbies. <laughs> and then you, yeah, you, you invest more and then your heart is towards it. It's just a, an ever-increasing cycle of being poor. But um, <laughs> I thank God for trade me because then when you're over one hobby, you can just sell it and get most of your money back and then start on another hobby. <laughs> So where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So there is just this incredible connection between our heart and money. I believe there is a supernatural connection. When you read through these verses, there is no other conclusion that I can come to that our passion, our love for things, what drives us, where our, our heart and our finances, where we invest our money, they're always going to be entwined. And I believe there's a supernatural connection there. In verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Now, Jesus uses incredibly strong language here. Like there's no beating around the bush. This is this is very black and white. There is no grey in this verse at all. Love, hate, devotion, despise. It's either either or. And Jesus is very specific about this because he understands the state of our heart. You cannot serve God and money. So just a few facts about this, number one. The God of our age is money. What we worship in the Western world today is materialism and money. That is the God of this age. No doubt about it. You look everywhere. It's money. It's finances. It's getting more stuff. It's getting more things. The God that we serve today in the Western world, generally speaking, now we don't serve so much statues or idols or ideals. We worship money as a culture. So the God of this age is money. Second fact, Satan doesn't care if he isn't worshipped directly. All he wants is that the worship is taken away from God. I remember when I said it, it says you cannot serve God and money or and I would have thought, well, it's God and the devil, obviously. But the devil doesn't necessarily want to directly get the worship to himself. He just wants to get the worship indirectly. What he is absolutely hell-bent on doing is taking the worship from God and, 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 and ripping God off and, and making his creation, which is us, that we were created to worship him. We find our purpose in worshiping God, taking that from God and from us, and instead turning our worship to something else, anything else other than God. That's why Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money, because money is 
one of the significant gods that we worship in our culture. So fact one, the God of our age is money. Number two, Satan does not care if he, he isn't worshipped directly. All he wants is the worship, his worship is taken away from God because our purpose is found as we worship God. Fun fact number three, when the worship of money increases, the attack against worshipping the true God with our money gets more vicious. When the worship of money in any culture increases, the attack against worshipping our true God with our money gets even more vicious. This is the reason, in my opinion, why tithing to churches is being so attacked almost daily in the, in the secular media today. It's like you go to someone and you're having a chat who doesn't go to church and you're saying, well, yeah, I go to church. And, and a lot of the time they're, well, are you, are those, is that one of the churches that want to get all your money? Like 10%? I mean, there's, this, there's no shortage of media, uh, newspaper reports and articles that attack the church right now. And it's getting worse about tithes and offerings. But the church has never changed. I grew up in an incredible church and every day tithing and offer, every weekend, sorry, was talked about. And no one thought, this is what we do as Christians. We give our money to God through the local church. No one ever criticised us. It got even, like some people would say extreme, but there was one week a year called OSIMS, which stands for One Week's Salary on Missionary Service. So over and above tithing, we gave one whole week's salary to God. And everyone celebrated that. You didn't see any newspaper articles about that. It's like, this, this is awesome. Like we didn't have the attack. Why is it getting so strong today? And why is it getting stronger? Because the worship of the God of this age is getting stronger, which is money. And when we use our finances to worship the true God, we are gonna get more viciously attacked. This world just doesn't understand that. Satan does, that's why he wants to rip God off with the worship that is due his. So let's just look into this a little bit more, why, why is it such a big deal to the world today that we, that we give to the church? You know, the average consumer today spends 400 New Zealand dollars on subscriptions a month. The average, and this is a millennial in America, so maybe it's a little bit different to us. The average millennial in um, America, which is young person, young adult, subscribes to 17 subscriptions a month, 17. I went to uh, the dairy uh, today and they're doing a, a surcharge. Whenever you use PayWave now, it's like several percent. And it's like, wow, this is, and that's not the first place. I went to a cafe the other day and it's like, this is a surcharge because you're using PayWave. It's like, oh, just a couple of percentage. It's like, and we think nothing about it. We think nothing about all these crazy subscriptions that when you're really honest, we don't need them. Now, I don't need my Netflix account. I don't need my Spotify account. I don't need my goodness knows how many other accounts we have, the subscriptions. So then why is this world right now so critical of believers like us being so passionate about God and being so passionate about His bride, the church, that they get so angry when we will, willingly and voluntarily, without compulsion, want to give money to God through the church. Fact four. You guys enjoying this? Because I'm really enjoying this. <laughs> I've been keen to preach this message for over a year now. It is either, it's, a, it, it's an either or in our life when it comes to money and lordship. It's not a both and. 
When you think of the language that Jesus used, it's love, hate, devoted, despised. It's, it's either or. So if we don't establish who is Lord over our finances, wholeheartedly, if we don't decide that, we are always going to be conflicted when it comes to finances. If we don't understand that God just isn't the Lord of my life, but God is the Lord of my finances, when we listen to series like this, we are going to get more and more offended. If we don't understand once and for all who is the Lord of our life, because it is so easy. Salvation is a free gift. Yeah, Lord, I give you my life, but I'm going to keep my wallet. It doesn't work like that. It's like, God, I give you my whole life. Jesus gave his whole life for us. So it's not sort of a bit of both. It's either or we will be conflicted in our heart always if we don't establish first who are we going to, who are we going to serve with our life. So when it comes to money, it is always going to be a heart issue. It's not like, yeah, I serve God with my life and my finances, that's just nothing, something else. No, our finances and our heart are intrinsically and permanently entwined. You cannot separate them. So when we talk about money and finances, when it comes to lordship and worship, it's always going to be a heart issue. It's part one over and done with. Altar call right now. <laughs> How long have I been speaking? That just felt like it flew by. Maybe I need to like do that whole part one again just so we can remember it. So part two. Actually, no, let's get back to, to, to fact four again because that was actually a... It's an either or in your life. I forgot to say this. So just in wrapping up part one. Money will either serve you or you will serve money. You will either serve God or you will see God as your servant. I thought about that like early hours of this morning. That's actually really, really good. <laughs> money will either serve you or you will serve money. You will either serve God or you will see money as your servant. Oh, sorry, you will see God as your servant. Which means that, yeah, God, I love you and you're a part of my life and I've given my life to you and I want to go to heaven when I die. Um, but when it comes to doing what you want versus what I want to do, I will rather just do what I want to do with my life. So you can serve me in my life, God. And when I pray to you, I want you to answer my prayer. See, God just becomes a joker in our life. God becomes a servant to us when he should be Lord. Okay, part two. Money is an eternal issue. So Matthew 6, that key verse again, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So these verses have got everything to do with investment. It's talking about using our earthly finances and possessions to invest into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, into heaven. So investment simply means putting your money to work to build wealth. So that's what investment, putting our money, our material wealth, our finances, etc., to work to build wealth. With that in mind, let's listen to this again. Do, up lay, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves or invest in treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Man, I don't, well, I haven't invested, like the only 
investment I do is our Kiwi Saver and, and trying to do up houses and then sell them like several years later. So we bought our houses like, yeah, we're going to re renovate our house. It's going to be awesome. We can sell it and make some money. Like seven years later, it's like, it's like the amount of money we've sunk into our house, it's not a good investment maybe, but we love our house. So I know there's a lot more people here that know a lot more about investment, but I know a tiny little bit. For example, I know that when 1977, the summer of 77, Star Wars came out. And I was three and a half years old when I saw that at the Regent Picture Theatre in Whangarei with my brother who took me, uh, he was like 12 years old. So I, I, goodness knows what my parents were thinking, but like Morris is my 12-year-old brother. Just take your three and a half year old. I, I couldn't even, I couldn't see anything. I couldn't sit or see over the front seat. I had to like, we had to flip the seat up, like in the olden days, the theatre seats flipped up, and I had to sit on the edge of that to see over the, and I just thought Star Wars was amazing, so like, everything was about Star Wars when I was three and a half, and Christmas came around in 1977, 78, and the, the, the Star Wars figures came out. Who remembers those? Like, look exactly like this. I got this from my awesome son, Jasha, like for Christmas, it's the Mandalorian, it's like back in 77, they looked exactly like this. And I remember one Christmas, vividly, I got the Darth Vader action figure. And I just was thinking at the time, why wasn't it Luke Skywalker? Like, who, who wants to have the villain as like, yeah, like, I was like, oh, well, but like Darth Vader had a little telescopic lightsaber. So I was sort of happy with that. And just I played with, played him like all the time. You know, Last year, I think it was, that same action figure, Darth Vader, sold for 85,000 New Zealand dollars. Wow. $85,000. If only I would, could have gone back in time as like a four-year-old, and maybe I still like the stuff and I just want to play with Darth Vader, I don't know, but if only we knew, like just 15 of them, if you, that wouldn't be much. Anyone could probably afford 15 action figures. Now you'd be a millionaire based on that. Wow. If only we knew, like that's incredible investment, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to open this. <laughs> See if it works again for a second time? Probably not, because the, like, everyone's got action figures these days. So let's just, like, let's just take this investing on a whole nother level. Bitcoin, I remember I talked about this last year, but there's a guy called Christopher Cook, 2009, invested 27 New Zealand dollars into Bitcoin, and he bought 5,000 Bitcoins with it. So today, uh, it's gone up and down, but um, one Bitcoin equals 38,000 New Zealand dollars. So you times that by 5,000. So $27 back in 2009 would be the equivalent right now if you sold them all, $190 million. <laughs> like if only we knew that. If only we could sort of go back in time. If only someone could tell us in 2009, you know what? I'd be, I'd be selling almost everything. I'd be selling my cats. <laughs> Wouldn't be selling my children. Um, but it's like, no, I need, I need to sell everything I can because in just a few years' time, the investment is going to be incredible. Right now, we have the same opportunity to invest into something so much more phenomenally, infinitely more amazing than action figures or Bitcoin. You know what it is? Essential oils. No, nah, just kidding. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> uh, sorry if I just offended everyone. It's, it's not. It's the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> Do not invest treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up. Invest treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in 
and steal. We know that the Bible does not lie. We know that Jesus is not trying to fool us or deceive us. We know that the greatest investment and opportunity in the whole universe and the whole of eternity is investing right now what we can into the kingdom of God. So, so why don't we get that? And another parable, Luke 12, verse 15 to 21. And Jesus said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of the rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? I'll, for I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul. You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So when Jesus said a parable, he always sort of brings it to a spiritual principle, and this is it, spiritual truth, verse 21. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So I don't think it's like we, we don't invest in anything at all. There is still a place of obviously God is the Lord of our life. But it's, it's again, who are we worshipping? Who has the Lordship of our finances? Verse 21. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So treasure and rich. So straight away, if you're anyone like me, it's like, hey, well, what does that mean? What are our treasures? Okay, it's just like being good and being kind, and, and I'll be laying up treasures in heaven just by being a good Christian and, and not watching that, that movie and, and being nice to that person and sort of praying. And I, I think absolutely there is a, an aspect of that. There are rewards in heaven for how we live. But when you look at the language, again, the Bible is very specific. That, that letter, or that word, is not rich towards God. It's in the Greek is P-L-O-U-T-E-O. And it specifically means to have acquired wealth. It almost always refers to material possessions in Scripture. So this is very specific. Again, and Jesus is saying, where are we investing our material wealth. What are we doing with the stuff and the money that we have? Where are we putting it? Because if we are solely just interested in what we're doing and what we're getting in this life, we have missed the point completely. Are we going to be rich in this life and completely poor in the next? Super challenging. Jesus is saying to live for possessions and to be ignorant of the kingdom is to come, to come is complete foolishness. Jesus is compelling us to invest our earthly riches into things of eternal value now. To use your finances now to gain an eternal reward. Why isn't this more of a big deal to believers? Why don't we get this? Why is, is giving to God through, through churches, why, why, why is that plummeting? I think possibly this is the main reason if you boil it all down, is that we simply have an incredibly worldly attitude towards eternity. Even as Christians, it's like, yeah, we're going to go to heaven when we die, and it's going to be awesome. But I still think for many of us, we have a ridiculously worldly, maybe even pagan or humanistic idea of what heaven's going to be like. So what is worldliness? When I say a worldly attitude, is this like having tattoos and ripped jeans and watching Lord of the Rings? It's... No. Worldliness is having a worldview that is worldly focused and not kingdom focused. Worldliness, if you're a worldly person, your view and your values in life is based in this world and not in the kingdom of God. And I think many Christians, like I said before, we have probably almost more of a pagan understanding of heaven. It's called Elysium in the Greek. Greek 
pagan was like, Elysium is just like worshipping a God forever and ever and ever. And I really truly think that many Christians think that's what heaven's going to be like. We're just going to be worshipping God forever and ever and ever. And that's what we're, maybe we're going to have a harp and maybe we're going to sit on a, on a cloud somewhere. And it's going to be all ethereal. And that's what we're, like, that sounds really boring to me, actually. What is the biblical view of heaven? Here it is, Isaiah 65, verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. New heavens and new earth. When we talk about heaven as believers, probably a more accurate way what we should be saying is new heavens and new earth. There's not just going to be a new heaven, it's going to be a new earth as well. 2 Peter 3.13, because this isn't just an isolated verse. It's right throughout Scripture. But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Revelation 21.1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away and the sea will be no more. There is going to be a new heavens and there is going to be a new earth. And yeah, I'm absolutely all for being great stewards of this earth. And when it comes to the, the crazy argument and debate about climate change and all of that and plastic, and, and absolutely, please don't get me wrong, that's really important. We need to look after this world. But there is going to be a new earth one day. <laughs> Where is our focus again? Is it just solely worldly? Or have we got more of a, 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 biblical, a biblically accurate idea of new heavens and New earth. So God just doesn't give up on, on humanity and what we're called to do when we, get, when we go to heaven. It's like God does not think, sweet, that's going to, yeah, they're all saved and I don't have to think about them. I've got nothing else for, for humans to do for the rest of eternity. Now, there is going to be stuff for us to do. Have you actually ever let your imagination run wild as to what it's going to be like to live on a new earth? There is going to be stuff to do. There is still going to be cooking. I haven't worked out if there's going to be meat because I know there's going to be no more death. So maybe it's all going to be vegan food, but street, street food? There's going to be people doing stuff? Just imagine the places we'll be able to explore what we're going to be doing. It's going to be incredible. Like we all have a bucket list. I want to go to a million places before I die. Chances are I'm not going to go to everywhere. But we're going to have all of eternity to explore in this incredibly new age. Isn't that exciting? And we've got the opportunity of actually to now to use our material wealth to invest in the new earth. Like, I don't know, how many cats am I going to be allowed to have on the new earth? <laughs> and just to really hopefully give us a deeper revelation of this, Ephesians 2 verse 4, because like I said, was it last week or the week before? Sometimes we just read a, chap, a paragraph and we don't understand the verses around it. So Ephesians 2 verse 4, it talks about how we were dead in sin. We, we give our lives to Jesus. In verse 4 it says, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love in which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages... He might show the miserable, miserable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The coming ages. It's not like the coming, coming age. And again, to be like um, grammatically correct, it should be like the coming age. An age is an eon. It's like an infinite measure of time. 
So it should have been like the coming age to come. It's like, okay, heaven, it's an infinite. But the Bible, again, is very specific. It's ages to come. Like another way that this is, uh, can be translated is eternity. Like, so in the coming eternities, it's not just, like this is, what sort of plan has God, God got for us for the ages to come? Have you ever thought about that? It's absolutely incredible. And again, let's just continue to read through this. Verse eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We always read that verse and think, great, God's got some good stuff for us to do on earth before we die. And that is absolutely true. But I don't believe the good works that God has prepared for us just stops when we die and go to heaven. When you read that in the context and take the whole paragraph um, with an understanding, He's got amazing things and prepared for us good things to do for the ages to come. Are we investing into the ages to come? Or are we investing everything in our passions and our energy into the next, if you're me, like 40 years? Where, where is the better place to invest my time and my effort and my money and my resources? Obviously, it's the kingdom to come. But again, it comes down to the Lordship and if we really trust the Word of God or not. So let's have the band up to make us feel better. <laughs> Jesus isn't lying. He isn't lying. He wants the very best for us. We can lay out real wealth in the heavens and the new earth by investing in God's kingdom now, there are going to be rewards in heaven. Now, that's something we don't often hear about, but just like do a Google search verses about rewards in heaven. Like, there is going to be a lot of stuff happens based on how we act and how we carry out our lives now. We are responsible for what we have been given in this lifetime. We will receive rewards in heaven based on what we do here on earth. And, and really, when it comes down to it, our, our financial freedom here and what we do with our finances um, I don't know, most of you, maybe half of you won't even remember um, the week that Lady Diana died. And Lady Diana died in a car crash, and it was sort of all, it's still controversial, um, but she died and the whole world was mourning for Lady Diana. Within like five days, Mother Teresa died as well. And everyone like, oh, Mother Teresa died. It's like, okay, that's sad. But everyone just forgot about it pretty much overnight. So for like weeks to come, the whole world mourned Lady Diana, and she was pretty awesome. Um, and everyone loved her, and most people forgot about Mother Teresa. When you look at the, the, the funerals by comparison, <laughs> again, it was ridiculous. Mother, uh, Mother Teresa sort of like, yeah, it was an okay funeral, but compared to Lady Diana, I wonder who's going to be the more richer in heaven. I don't even know if Lady Diana, I hope, hope she made it to heaven, I just don't even know. Definitely Mother Teresa will be there. I wonder what life in the new heavens and the new earth will look like for Mother Teresa who gave everything. If you would look at her life and there's no doubt about it, you would know that Jesus was the Lord of her life and she dedicated her whole life to serving the, the malnourished and the lost and the broken and the forgotten and the rejected. She understood this. She understood the, and, and took it honestly believing Jesus about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of earth, what to store up who was the true Lord of her life. So in finishing, just want to read Matthew 6 again. How have I done for time? Pretty good. 
Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither wrath, wrath, moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's stand up, please. Going to give us a challenge. Simply this. Who is the Lord of our life? Who really is the Lord of our life? Who are we serving right now and who is serving us? Is is money our master or are we using material wealth? And because God wants to bless us financially, are we using that to serve God and bless Him and to store up treasures in heaven? Can we really say that Jesus is the Lord of our life, including the Lord of our wallet? Or do we see God as some type of servant in our lives? That like we call upon Him and, and we ask Him to do stuff when we need Him. When, we, when, we, when we're in trouble and we need someone to get us out of that, we call upon our servant Jesus, where He should be our Lord. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.